Well, we're turning this morning back to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter, chapter 1. We come this morning to uh, verses 6 to 9 of this chapter. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Well, over the past couple of weeks, we have been spending some time in this chapter of Joshua, at this stage of the history of the children of Israel. Now we saw that Moses had died and although it may have appeared as though things had very much gone back to the beginning, as it were, really things had not retreated at all. God has selected Joshua as the next instrument that he was fit to use, pleased to use in his work. And here he has been sharpening his weapon at the grindstone of his word. He has been preparing Joshua. <coughs> Joshua has been warned, and we saw last time, that the work ahead would be difficult work. It was going to be no walk in the park. But yet, nonetheless, he exhorted him to arise and go over this Jordan, to lead the people into the inheritance of the saints of God in the land of promise. But this morning, as we noted last week, we want to return to the second part of that exhortation that God gave to Joshua. We want to look at the further instructions that he gives now to his instrument. Not only as to the difficulty of the work as we saw last week, but now as to how that work ought to be done. Joshua was not going to be left to work out the best and most effective means to go forward all by himself. It wasn't that God called him to his service and then left him to it. No, what we find this morning, what we will see as we look at these verses, is that God's work is directed work. A directed work. There are two directions that we want to look at this morning. The first will be faith and the second will be obedience. <clears throat> Firstly then, we have a direction to faith. In verse 6, be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Now for us, reading the Bible, reading God's word, to be told to believe God, to have faith in God, it seems almost second nature, it seems obvious. Of course we ought to believe God. But for Joshua standing there on the east of Jordan, with the difficulty of the work ahead now so clearly in view and the immensity of the task, we saw that, and the, uh, the enemies that he was to face and so on. 
This direction to faith is absolutely crucial. It would have been easy for Joshua now to arise and to launch into this work with enthusiasm without seeing that his success was going to be entirely dependent on the Lord. He could easily have lost sight of the spiritual nature of the work in the midst of the fray of leadership and battle and settlements. <coughs> in the day-to-day -day activities of life and what activities they were that were ahead of Joshua. Uh, we are not to think of Joshua as some kind of super spiritual child of God. He was a man. He was just like the rest of us in that sense. And the work that they had to do was very practical, very physical, very uh, real work. It wasn't all uh, simply something that would take place in their spirit life, in their prayer life. Though it would, it would also take place in their day-to-day -day getting up and going out. So it was very important then that Joshua was directed to this life of faith, this walking by faith. So here's the nature of the faith which God directs for Joshua. The first thing we see about this faith is that it is a steadfast faith. Joshua is told to be strong and of a good courage. Now the importance of the command here is seen in that it is repeated three times in this passage. In verse 6, in verse 7 and in verse 9. Be strong and of a good courage. Now to be strong, it means to uh, bind something fast to cleave onto something, to be firm and resolute, to be unmoving. The idea then is of a staying put, we could say. Not wavering, not changing directions, not going this way and then changing and going that way. No, it's looking straight on, confidently, uncompromisingly going straight forward. It's related to that idea we saw the last time, actually, when God had promised that uh, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee. Uh, the idea there we saw of uh, standing was to take a stand. The enemies would not be able to stand their ground. We considered that. That's the promise that God gave. Well, this exhortation here to Joshua matches that precisely. Uh, just as there will not be any man able to stand their ground before God's people, so there will be no shifting of God's people from standing their ground. The enemies won't be able to stand their ground, but God's people must. Likewise, we saw that the promise that God gave, that he would not fail thee nor forsake thee, in verse 5, we saw that what that meant is that God would not slacken his grip on the people of God. He wouldn't let it loosen in the slightest. They were secure, they were safe. Well, the same idea again is here. As God does not slacken his grip on his people, so his people must not slacken their grip. They must hold fast the faith in God's promises. They mustn't doubt. Now immediately we see the implications here. This is a command. It's an encouragement, yes. But it's an order from God. Do not move. Not an inch. Do not deviate from the course. 
no matter what the difficulties faced, no matter how hard the work may be, and remember Joshua has been warned it's going to be very hard, no matter how terrifying the enemies might be, no matter how slow the progress may appear, do not deviate from this course of faith and obedience. What God tells you to do, you do it and you do it believing. That's what Joshua is being told here. You see, holding the line matters. The other part of this command, to be of a good courage, it refers to a sharpness or an alertness, a precision. There's no room for flinching in this work. The people of God need to be dauntless. And all along, the basis of that courage, of that strength is this. It's faith in the promise that God has given. Not faith in the outcomes. Not faith in the evidence that we see of how well things are going and how successful God's methods are. No, it's faith in the promise, whether we see the outcomes or not. The second thing we see about this faith is that it is a specific faith. God is not simply saying to Joshua, trust me and no more. Rather we read, for unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land. Now we have the promise repeated again. Repetition. It serves to confirm the steadfastness of the promise when something is repeated in scripture. That's the, the message for us on the surface of that repetition is this. This matters. This is confirmed. God is setting his seal to it. But there's more than that here in the repetition. The statement of the promise that we have here in verse 6 is a development of what has gone before. Not simply only a repetition. Let's follow it through. In verse 2, God described the land as that which I do give to them even to the children of Israel. That which I do give to them. It's a statement of the promise. In verse 3, the Lord goes further and says that it is the land that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses. And now he goes further again, and he specifies Joshua's role in the promise. Unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land. Now notice here how it develops. And how that relates to the faith that is demanded of Joshua. You see, to believe that the land would be given to the children of Israel was one thing. Abraham believed that, though he never saw it with his own eyes in his own lifetime. Isaac believed that. Jacob believed it. Moses believed that. And now Moses, my servant, is dead. None of them saw it in their lifetimes, yet they believed it. And you see that first time the promise is stated. It's in the third person. Which I do give to them, the children of Israel. That's what he says to Joshua. So there was a sense in which it was an abstract belief in one sense. But then in verse 3, it is made more personal. There's a switch from the third person to the second person. I have given unto you. But notice that word you. It's in the plural. So he's gone from I have given it to them, Joshua, to I have given it to you, which includes you, Joshua, but all of your people, all of the people now standing here. And now we see that it is more personal, but it's not personal to Joshua. It's personal to every single one of the people that are there 
What he's saying is, I have given it to this generation. This is the generation that will go in. But then in verse 6, it comes right to Joshua's feet. Notice the words. Unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance. Now we're in the singular. It involves Joshua and Joshua's role. And it's a promise to him. And he's saying, Joshua, you have a right to claim this promise. It is he, it is Joshua who will divide the land. <coughs> the direction then to have faith in the promise is specific to Joshua's role as an instrument in God's hands. That's the point. God's instruments are to have faith in God's promise. But we see then thirdly that it's a sustained faith. We read that uh, the, the land, it's the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Now, notwithstanding the personal application of the promise, uh, that yes, this is a promise for you, Joshua. Yes, it's a promise for this generation, Joshua. But it's a long-term promise. For many generations, unto their fathers was the promise given. For many generations, the fulfillment of the promise has been in the making. And there will be many more years to come before the full accomplishment of the occupation of the land of promise. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a long, hard, treacherous, challenging path ahead. That's the message to Joshua and to the people. Not only that, it would be even longer still, many generations still to come before the ultimate accomplishment in this promise in the coming of Jesus Christ as the saviour of his people. So this was still a command for Joshua then to walk by faith and not by sight. This is a long haul. The work of God is a long, arduous all. It's not handed to us on a plate. It's not made easy for us. This is important for us today in God's work. We've already seen that God's work is still going forward. There's no doubt about it. We have seen that there is no pause. There's no hiatus in the work of God. It, the gospel is still preached. God's Spirit is still active, working in the hearts of sinners and converting people. God's people are still being edified, being built up and being strengthened. God's work and the gospel is still going forward today. <coughs> we have seen, though, that there is a work to be done in taking the gospel to the whole world. It's difficult work. It's beset by enemies. Enemies within and enemies without. This then this morning is a direction to us that is of the utmost urgency. It's a direction to keep believing. Keep believing. Trust God for the promises that he has given to you as a child of God and to this church as the work of the, of the gospel kingdom. Trust God for those promises. It's a command to you as a church, to, from God, to hold the line, to not waver in this work, 
To not look at the slow progress that's being made and to be tempted to doubt the promise. Even whenever those promises are long time in coming. The instruction here is to not doubt God for a moment. He has told us it will be a long time coming. The work of the gospel, it's long term work, but it's a work that transcends generations. You have limited sight of how this kingdom is coming every day. We really just don't know the extent. We can't see just how influential the church is today. We think we have no influence. But just because we can't see the influence that we are having doesn't mean we have no influence. There could be people two generations hence that God uses something that happens today in order to bring them to faith in Christ. Uh, we know that to be true. History is full of examples of that. We just simply, men and women, cannot see all of the workings, all of the successes, all of the prosperity of the gospel work today. But we trust, we trust that God's work is going forward. God tells us that it is. Maybe for many years, You've prayed for some unsaved loved one, some friend or some colleague, some family member, maybe even strangers. And maybe for many, many years you've been witnessing in the gospel, living out a life of gospel obedience. Maybe even witnessing in the gospel message to sinners. And it may look as though nothing has happened. It may look as though there is no point. But the instruction given to Joshua is the same as the instruction given to you. Do not let go. Don't let go of the promises of God. Be strong and of a good courage. Hold the line. Be alert. Cleave to the promises. But believe it. Believe that God will conquer this hostile land of sinful hearts and that his gospel kingdom will flourish. So we have here in these verses this morning a direction to faith. Keep believing. But secondly, we see that there is a direction to obedience. We have this in the verses 7 to 8. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now although faith is clearly crucial to this work, the direction to obedience is equally important. Without this, Joshua would simply be left to find out for himself what is the most suitable, what are the most successful methods of doing God's work? But that is not the way that God operates. God's work, God's workers, God's instruments are not just set on their feet and pushed out into the world and told to go and work it out themselves. Find out what works best, what feels right, what's most successful, what gives the best results. Joshua wasn't to have charts in the wall to say, oh, that's a downward trend, let's try something different. No, no. 
Joshua is called here, he's directed to obedience. He, God gives him a direction to obedience as the only acceptable method of conducting God's service. He's not saying it's the best way, although it is. What he's saying is this is the only way, Joshua. This is the only way. The servants of God, the people of God, obey God's commandments. Here's the instructions. Let's look then at these instructions, this direction to obedience. We see that the obedience is a scrupulous obedience. The first part of verse 7, it reads, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do. It's a repeat of the command in verse 6, but with a difference. We have this emphatic very added in order to qualify the courage. It's not just be courageous, but be very courageous. Now, if courageous means to be sharp and to be alert and to be dauntless, and by adding the very in here, we've got that underscoring here, there is a need for scrupulous obedience to God. Be very courageous that thou mayest observe to do. We encounter this phrase later in the book of Joshua. Whenever Joshua is charging the people over in the 23rd chapter, we read there, be ye therefore very courageous. Why? To keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. You see that? That's scrupulous obedience. God expects his people to adhere with scrupulous accuracy to every command that he gives. He's not looking for some rough approximation of obedience. He's not looking for something which is not too far away from being obedient. He's looking for absolute obedience. Total obedience. He wants us to be careful that what we do is what he has commanded us to do. But then, in the second place, we see that this obedience is a scriptural obedience. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. This sharpness, this alertness, means that in order to be scrupulous, we need to have this constant recourse back to the word of God. What saith the scriptures? What does the word of God say that we should and shouldn't do? That's Joshua's field manual for the battles that lie ahead. What is our warrant for doing the things that we do? That's the refrain that Joshua ought to have. We, we know, for example, that we have the Battle of Jericho, as it's called. There wasn't much of a battle, was there? God fought the battle. Joshua was given very specific instructions. Those instructions came from God. They were God's word. Joshua followed them to the letter. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for those men that marched around the walls six days and on the seventh day they marched around seven times? By the time they had marched around that sixth time on that seventh day, I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder was there a temptation to doubt Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we should just go and attack them. Because we still haven't defeated them. And nothing has changed. But of course on the seventh time what happened, the walls fell flat and the victory was won. They had good success. 
But then the battle of AI, where they didn't ask, what is our warrant for going to war with AI? They didn't ask, is the Lord with us? And they lost the battle. So to observe, to do here in, our, in, in the instructions that are given to Joshua is a very important clause. It means that they were to keep or they were to perform the commands of God. The word is used in the same sense as uh, keeping the covenant in Exodus 19. Now therefore if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. See the fundamental importance here of keeping God's word. It's related to the promise that we will be a peculiar treasure unto God. It's a mark. Obedience to God's word is a mark of our covenant acceptance. It's not a condition of it. It's not keep this word that you would be accepted. It's because you are accepted you will keep this word. Because you are in God's covenant, you will then follow out in your life disobedience to God's word. It's used again in the specific context of going into Canaan in Deuteronomy 4. There we read, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, Moses is the speaker, that you should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. They were to obey. They were to obey scrupulously. It was a scriptural obedience, obeying God's word. But there's no sense in which this is a slavish obedience to the letter of the law. Rather, it's a, an obedience from the heart. That's what God refers to in Deuteronomy 5. He says, oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. This is the difference, you see, between the Pharisees' observance of the law. It was a perverted form of the law with much of their own rules added to it. But their scrupulous obedience to the law was in order to merit their own salvation somehow. That's not what's in view here. Here we've got an obedience from the heart, a longing, a desire to obey God. Not simply some checklist obedience. Well, what's the doctrine that's in view here? Well, it's the regulative principle of worship. That which we, uh, by which we measure how we worship God, the things that we do in the worship service. The things that we don't do in the worship service. The idea in our text is clearly a positive idea. To obey the positive directions of scripture. The, Joshua is, not, is commanded sorry, to, to keep them. To perform them. It's emphatically not a pro prohibitive clause. He's not saying to Joshua. You mustn't do anything other than what scripture tells you to do. Or you mustn't do what scripture tells you not to do. So if it says you mustn't do it, don't do it. If it doesn't say you mustn't do it, go ahead if it works. That's not what Joshua was being told to do here. Rather what we see is what Joshua is being told is you mustn't do anything unless I have told you to do it. And if I have told you to do it, then you must do it. That's the commands. That's the, that's the measure by which Joshua 
was to take this land of Canaan. It's the regulative principle of worship. See how it's connected to our position within the covenant. Because we are God's people, then we ought to have a heart to observe and to keep God's commands. Indeed, to feel on this point is to fall into a form of idolatry. And the word directly links those two things. In Deuteronomy 28, 14, And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left. And it's described as this, to go after other gods to serve them. See, everything that we do is an act of obedience. Everything that we do is an act of obedience. But to whom is that obedience rendered? If what we are doing is not in obedience to God, it's in obedience to some other. If we are changing our methods because God's methods are not working, we are changing those methods in obedience to ourselves, in obedience to the response that we get from those that we seek to reach. We're doing it in obedience to someone other than God. And God says, that's going after other gods to serve them. Obedience to any other other than the Lord is idolatry. So we have this direction to scrupulous obedience, a direction to a scriptural obedience. But notice, finally, it is to be a sustained obedience. In verse 8 we read, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now we saw something of this when we looked at faith. That the direction to faith was uh, to a sustained faith. A faith that didn't let go. Well that sustained faith is a prerequisite for this sustained obedience. We need to have sustained faith if we are going to have sustained obedience. We can't keep up obedience without believing God. In one sense, all acts of disobedience are acts of doubt and unbelief. If we truly believed what God says and all that he says, then we would truly obey him. All of our falling short of God's mark really is unbelief. Now we have seen that this work is going to be long-term work. If that's the case, and it is, then there is no room for giving up halfway through. There is no point occupying half of the land of Canaan. There can be no weariness, especially when it looks as though God's directive methods are not working. What if they had stopped walking around Jericho after the sixth time? What would have happened? They wouldn't have had a prosperous way and good success. That's for sure. There can be no giving up halfway through. Now Joshua is being told here in advance that no matter what happens, no matter what it looks like, no matter the outward appearances, do not relax your grip on the word of God. Don't relax it for one moment, not one statute of it, not one command of it. He's saying, Joshua, whenever it looks as though the times have changed, do not dare say that my word doesn't apply today, that it applied then. Whenever the enemy appears to be winning, 
don't concoct your own alternative left-hand ways of defeating them. Whenever the people of the land are dying off, whenever God's people are dying off, and it looks as though they aren't being replaced, don't be going searching for right-hand ways to replace them. But look at the way in which God has prescribed in order for his word to retain its rightful place. What's the way? The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now he doesn't mean that you should never speak God's word when he says it shouldn't depart out of your mouth. By not departing it simply means that they were never to stop reading it, to stop speaking of it, to stop telling others of it. It should always be in your mouth ready to come out that you should be using God's word. They were to live and breathe the word of God. You can see the point if, it's, if they take it seriously. If they take God's call to faith seriously and they believe God, then they will believe what God has said. And if they believe that this is what God has said, that this is the very inspired word of the living God of heaven, will they not read it day and night? Oh, will they not cleave to it and never let it go? If they truly believed that it was God's word? The word uh, meditate is interesting. The word literally means to mutter or to sing. It's being used here metaphorically. I don't think uh, the Lord was telling Joshua to go about muttering God's word under his breath where people would wonder what was happening. It's being used metaphorically of the silent tones of the heart. This meditating then, it involves thinking over the word, almost literally talking to yourself about the word of God. In the context of this directed obedience, it involves a continual refreshing of the mind as to what the word of God says. What does God actually say in his word? Why do we do the things that we do? Can we give an answer to that question? Are we giving that answer, the answer to that question to those who ask or to those who don't realize? So see then what Joshua is being commanded here to do is this. First of all, know what the word of God commands you to do and then do it. That's the first thing. Secondly, make sure that the people know what the word of God commands them to do and see that they do it. And then thirdly, keep on going over the word of God over and over again and refreshing your mind on what the commands of scripture are. Why do you do what you do? Why do we do what we do? Drawing this all together then, this directed obedience, we are confronted here with a major scriptural doctrine concerning how the work of God's kingdom today is to be taken forward within the church. We need to apply this to all we have seen so far from the passage, we considered the last time how we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now we must ask, how are we to do that? We're not just left to work out the best way ourselves. We're not to turn to the world's ways. We don't have a marketing department to try and sell our products. We don't seek to woo the world with the things that they will find attractive as some sort of hook to draw them in. And then when we've got them, they'll show them the gospel and they'll believe it. No, friends. 
We don't devise some form of praise that will appeal to the sensual appetites of the world. We're not to change our form of worship so that it appears less majestic and intimidating, maybe, and appears more homely. Now, all of these things might seem to the world to be more attractive. They may well draw more people in. But they're not the ways that God has commanded that we are to go forward in his work. They are not the ways we are to march around Jericho seven days, seven times on the seventh day. I am sure, I am confident, I say it confidently, if Joshua had been left to himself in Jericho, he would not have marched around Jericho seven times and seven times on the seventh day, would he? It's not something that man would have come up with. And I suggest to you that our worship service is like that. It is not something man would come up with. We know that's true. Because when we look at other places that are left to themselves in terms of how they worship God, they worship God differently. The command to evangelize the lost of this world is a positive command to go, but it's also a specific command. How are we to go? We're to go and preach the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is the method of evangelizing that God has promised to bless. We don't evangelize in song, in mime. We don't evangelize by having fundraising in community halls. All these things may well have their place, but it's not in the worship and it's not in the kingdom work of God. But gospel preaching is long haul work. Gospel preaching is not the kind of work where we come into God's house and we preach for 40 minutes and 15 people in the congregation are converted every time it happens. That has happened. There are times in history where things like that happen, but that's not the normal way. Gospel preaching is long-haul work. There is no flashbang method to win converts. And so the direction here this morning to the church is this. It's a direction to sustained obedience. It's patience with God. We follow scrupulously what he has prescribed as his methods for this kingdom work, for this serpent-crushing work. And if the progress to us appears to be slow, and if it looks as though it's not working, then what do we do? We keep going. We keep going. We hold fast to the commands of God. And the slower things seem to be moving to us, all the more fastidious must we be on the alert. Must we be very courageous when all the outward evidence is telling us that reformed worship isn't working? But we must also evangelize. Yes, we must have reformed worship. But we must also evangelize. That too is a prescribed command. We must also go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. It's by means of preaching that souls are saved. But the souls are brought in under the sound of the preaching by going out and getting them. The final word of encouragement that God gives in connection with this directed obedience is this. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then 
thou shalt have good success. The things that we do in our worship service, we do them because we have a warrant from God's word. He's commanded us to do them. The way in which we praise God using inspired praise is because there's a warrant from scripture to sing the psalms. The reason why we don't have musical instruments is because there is no warrant in scripture to have musical instruments. The reason why the ladies in the congregation cover their head without going into all the reasons, the primary reason is this, because it's a command from God to do it. There's a warrant in the word of God to do it. It's why we read the word. It's why we stand for prayer. It's why in prayer meetings the men pray, not because they're better at praying than women, but because that's the warrant in Scripture for the public times of prayer. And I hope women do pray at home. And I hope they pray silently. And I hope the men who aren't praying out loud pray silently in the prayer meetings as well. The reason why we have a benediction when there's an ordained minister to pronounce it is because there's a warrant for it in Scripture. See it this morning, child of God, Everything that we do or don't do is because we have a warrant in Scripture or we don't have a warrant in Scripture for it. And here's the thing. God promises that it will be successful. He doesn't promise our kind of success, perhaps. He doesn't promise our kind of prosperity. But he promises that his kingdom will go forward and it will have prosperity and it will have good success and we believe it we believe it verse 9 in the in the passage recapitulates the command to be strong and of a good courage there's a redoubling here it's a concluding exhortation to a now steeled Joshua now he has the directions from God only now he is ready to embark. Now he's ready to go forward in this work. Have not I commanded thee? Notice the order in verse 9. Have not I commanded thee? In other words, I have given you a warrant to believe. Have I given you the very instructions by which you will accomplish the great work of the Lord? That's the question that God asked Joshua. Then be strong and of a good courage. Then the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. See the connection, the warrant, the promise, and then the confident faith. This morning as a church then, we need to hold the line. We need to trust God. It's his work. He knows what he's doing. He knows the ending. He has given us the directions for his work. And we are directed this morning simply to believe him. And to obey him. Obey him. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let's stand for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before thee this morning again, we pray for thy blessing upon the word of God. We pray, O Lord, that thou would take those things that belong unto thyself, that which has been of thee, and that thou would bless that to the hearts of thy people, that thou would encourage them and instruct them in the ways of God, that they would not let go, that they would not turn to the left hand or to the right, but rather, O Lord, we would all, every one of us, go forward in the power of God, knowing, being assured that because we do what thou hast commanded us to do, then thy work will be successful. 
Help us to believe it, Lord. Oh, Lord, we would pray, I believe. Help thou mine own belief. Lord, that's the prayer of every one of us here this morning. Help our own belief. Give us the strength that we need to keep going, to press on. And, oh, Lord, how we cry, not that we would be successful, but the cause of Christ would have good success. And the gospel would be prosperous. That many souls would be brought to faith in Christ, even in our generation. That loved ones, children, that family members, neighbours, colleagues, Lord, that many souls would come to see the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. Oh, help us, Lord, then, to hold the line this day. Give us the courage and the confidence and the faith that we need to do it. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our concluding praise this morning is Psalm 37. And singing from verse 28 of this psalm. Psalm 37 and verse 28. We'll sing from 28 down to the end of 34. Psalm 37, singing from verse 28 to 34 for God loves judgment and his saints leaves not in any case they are kept ever but cut off shall be the sinner's race the just inherit shall the land and ever in it dwell the just man's mouth doth wisdom speak his tongue doth judgment tell in his heart the law is of his God his steps slide not away the wicked man doth watch the just and seeketh him to slay Yet him the Lord will not forsake, nor leave him in his hands. The righteous will he not condemn when he in judgment stands. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way. And the exult shall he, the earth to inherit. When cut off the wicked, thou shalt see. Psalm 37, singing from verse 28 to 34. <clears throat> For God loves judgment and his saints leave not in any case
as we look to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this time of worship this morning. We thank Thee, O Lord, that Thou hast promised to be where the two or three are gathered together in Thy name. And so we know that Thou hast been with us this morning. But Lord, we pray now that Thou would come and bless us each one. As we part one from the other, we pray that Thou would take us to our homes in safety. And O Lord, that Thy word would be our meditation this day. We would think on Thee. We would think on the things of God. We would meditate on Thy word. And even throughout this day, we would remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Bring us back again this evening to worship Thee again once this evening as we gather in Thy presence once again. We pray, O God, for a gathering in of those who are outside of Christ, that as the gospel is preached, there might be that going forward of this kingdom work in the hearts of those who are unsaved. We pray, O God, that thou would come and dwell with us now, impart us in thy fear and with thy favour. For these things we pray in Jesus' name.